0: I've been uh, working on a series called Heroes. And uh, this is taken from Hebrews chapter 11, also known as the uh, Hall of Faith by some. And so we've been talking about the great heroes of our faith. You'll remember I told you a story about a couple of my heroes. Um, My dad's mom and dad, she being terribly crippled with arthritis, but never missing an opportunity to help her grandchildren understand about the great heroes of the faith and what made them heroes of the faith. My granddad, who took care of his wife during all of the difficulties of that horrible disease. You know, we've got all kinds of treatments nowadays for rheumatoid arthritis. There were none then except to pump a person full of steroids. And you know what steroids do over time. They cause other problems. She suffered. She suffered horribly. Great, great pain. If it hadn't been for my granddad taking care of her, I don't think she would have been been able to hang in there. You see, he took his vows seriously. His vows in sickness and in health. And he cared for his wife in those decades of horrible sickness. And he made it possible for her to live a full life and to minister to her grandchildren as she did. And I'll tell you, one of the reasons I'm here today is because of those two. I am quite certain I would not be here except for them. Heroes of the faith. My dad. I mentioned last week. A hero of the faith. One of the greatest men I've ever known. My father. You know, it's really wonderful for me as his son to be able to say that. Heroes of the faith. Do we have heroes of the faith? I'll tell you, one of the the problems that I see amongst so many youth in the United States today is there really are no more heroes. You look in all the movies, at best we have anti-heroes, bad guys who happen to do good things sometimes. The heroes that so often we have are sports stars or some musical artists who may not really be doing anything for the rest of society around us. But they're heroes just because they're good at something. They've got a natural talent at something. We look up to that. But what about real heroes? Those who are really working to affect society for the good. And what should a real hero look like? I would suggest to you that a real hero looks something like the heroes of the Bible that we find in Hebrews chapter 11. Before I go any further though, I want to give you a quick word study. It's a Greek word. The word is kerygma. Kerygma. Essentially in the uh, uh, Brit Hadashah writings, the newer testamental writings, the word kerygma is uh, generally translated as proclamation. It could be proclaimed, it could be preaching, it could be something else like that. But generally, proclamation. And so, the kerygma is the proclamation, in this case, of the good news of our Lord and Savior Yeshua. Proclamation. I want you to see as we go through this study on the heroes of the faith, that each of them had something to proclaim. And in their proclamation... They demonstrated their faith in God. And it is in fact that faith in God that they are rewarded for. Let's also remember a couple of things about uh, this section. First of all, um, as we speak in of Hebrews 11, I want to ensure that we remember what faith is. So very quickly, Hebrews 11, 1 through 3. Hebrews 11, 1 through 3. Go ahead and turn there. How many of you have your Bible with you? If you do, uh, hold it up and wave it around. Very good. Everyone should have a Bible with them. If you don't, you should at least have your smartphone and you should be in it. Hebrews 11, 1 through 3. I'm just going to read it very quickly. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of realities not seen. For by it the elders received commendation. Do you have that? It's by faith that they receive commendation. Not by their own righteous works. By faith. Now I'm not therefore suggesting that we don't do righteous works. We should. What I am suggesting, though, is it's the faith that comes first, and then the righteous works follow that as we understand what it is exactly that Yeshua is calling us to do. So, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of realities not seen. So, faith, I'll tell you, you don't have to be able to see the thing. To have faith that is true. You see that? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. What is it that God has put on your heart that you want to see? At one point, God on put on my heart that I wanted to see the work among the Lemba in Zimbabwe grow. Substantially. When Annette and I went over there in October of 2013, there were about 11 small congregations and about 22 student leaders. I knew that God was calling us in our time there to work diligently, to work aggressively. To work tirelessly to build because we may not be there long. I just had this sense. I was willing to stay for five years if indeed that was going to happen. The fact of the matter is, it was as I felt in my heart that our time would be cut short. We were there for about 13 months. In working the way that we did, praying to God and being aggressive in the work, not being willing to simply sit still or play it safe or whatever else, we were able to see the congregations increase from 11 to 55 within that year and the number of student leaders increase from 22 to somewhere between 75 and 80. Now when we got there, there were just 11 congregations, very small, and 22 student leaders. Faith for us was the substance of what we hoped for. That these congregations and the number of student leaders that we had to guide them under our direction, would grow substantially. We didn't see it yet. You you understand, when we got there in October of 2013, there were just the 11 congregations, right? But still, they were evidence of the good things to come, although we didn't yet see them. And so based on the calling that God had put on our lives, we had a hope that we were going to see the breakthrough during that one year we were there. And we saw that breakthrough. This is the nature of faith. What is it that you hope for? What is it? What is the evidence? What is the evidence of things you don't see, but yet you know they're out there? The evidence is in your heart. It's in your mouth. It's the Lord Yeshua and what He has spoken to you. And the nature of faith is that you act upon what God has given you rather than upon merely what your eyes see or your ears hear or you can taste or you can smell or you can touch. It's based on something far deeper than that because we're talking about spiritual matters. You see, we live on this physical plane. This pew is a solid piece of furniture. This building, it's solid. It's made of cinder block and great wooden beams. This is not the real reality though, folks. I know it's the reality for our physical bodies. But we are actually spirits placed within this sukkah of the flesh. The sukkah. A temporary dwelling, right? We are spirits placed within the sukkah of the flesh. And so the reality is actually the spirit world that's all around us that too often, to our own peril, I think we ignore. We're so busy with our work schedule that we don't have time to pray or we don't have time to read the Scriptures or study. We're so busy with family or with our kids' sports or whatever else that we don't have time to spend with God. We're so busy looking for a natural explanation for everything that happens that we don't even have time to see the miracles of God that happen before our eyes. You see, the nature of faith is to understand that we live in a spiritual plane even if we don't necessarily see it. There's a spiritual battle that's going on around us all the time. There are spiritual beings that affect us. We meet God on this spiritual plane most often. And even if we meet God through a wonderful individual like Caleb here, I will tell you that it's not just Caleb we're meeting on this physical plane. It's the Spirit of God that lives within Caleb that we're meeting. And that's definitely on a different plane than the physical, you understand. So, the nature of faith is not based on our senses, what we see, what we hear, what we taste, what we smell, what we touch. Rather, it's based on the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of realities not seen. The reason why these people are mentioned here as heroes of the faith is because they had this faith. They didn't live their lives based on their senses. They lived their lives based on what God told them to do, and they went and they did it. And God beckons to us to do the same that our name would be added to this list. I also want to speak about Hebrews eleven six real quick. Now without faith it is impossible to please God. So you've heard what faith is. Without it it's impossible to please God. what do we have faith in ultimately? Well, for the one who comes to God must believe that He exists. But that's not even enough. Just believe that He he exists. Because we must also believe that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And so God has called you to something and you know He's promised you something and you get slapped in the face with it. So what do you do now? Do you give up? Do you cop an attitude? Do you get angry at God? Or do you just retreat into a shell? Or do you get up? Do you let God dust you off? And do you get back into the struggle again? Well, you see, people of faith, it's the latter. Because being a person of faith is not a guarantee that things are going to go well for you on this earthly plane or that life will be easy. In fact, sometimes it can be just the exact opposite. Ask our brothers and sisters who live in the Islamic world. And they'll be able to explain it. Because you see, when one gives up the false god Allah of Islam and follows Adonai, the one true god of the Scriptures, in those Islamic republics, they are literally taking their life in their own hands. Actually, they're putting their life in God's hands and they're saying, God, whether it's by my life or by my death, I'm going to serve you. And when they say that, they mean it. They really are willing to die for the God who is who they have left their family, they've left everything for, in order to follow this God. And they're willing to die for And they oftentimes do for simply mentioning the name of Jesus. Or for suggesting in any way that Muhammad might not be a prophet of God. This is faith. So, we have covered um, both uh, Abel and Enoch. So we're going to move on to Noah today. One other thing that I'm doing is as often as possible, I'm also covering one of the apostles one of the emissaries of Yeshua. Because I'll tell you what, it's important, it's critical that we understand the work of Yeshua's emissaries if we want to understand our own work today. So I'm starting in um, Hebrews 11, verse 7. You've got to read through 16 today. And we read, by faith Noah, when warned about events not yet seen, you you see that, warned about events that he had not seen, events not yet seen. There never had been storms like were about to come upon the earth. There was no experience with the deeps opening up from the ground and water coming up in such great volume. There was no experience with the need to have boats to try to escape what was coming. And yet God spoke to Noah and gave him a word and Noah's reaction was to listen and to do. Very specific, what God told Noah to do too. So let's read through that. By faith Noah, when warned about events not yet seen, in holy fear prepared an ark for the safety of his household. Through faith he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to to go out to a place he was to receive as an inheritance. He went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he migrated to the land of promise as if it were, as if it were foreign, dwelling in tents with Yitzhak and Yaakov, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was waiting for the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive when she was barren and past the age, since she considered the one who had made the promise to be faithful. So from one, and him as good as dead, were fathered offspring, As numerous as the stars of heaven, and as uncountable as the sand of the seashore. These all died in faith, without receiving the things promised. I want you to hear that again. These all died in faith, without receiving the things promised. But they saw them and welcomed them from afar what is the nature of faith? What did we say? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of realities not seen. This is what the ancients were commended for. They had this faith. This is what God is calling us to possess, to have, to walk in. A faith that helps us to rise above all of the challenges of the day, all of the fears of the day, all of the concerns of the day. But they saw and welcomed them from afar. And they confessed that they were strangers and sojourners on the earth. This earth is not our home. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If indeed they had been thinking about where they had come from, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they yearn for a better land that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. All right, so let's break this down, um, starting with Noah. And so I want you to turn to Genesis 6. And you'll notice that in the passage, Genesis 6 9 through 18 that we start out hearing this. These are the genealogies of Noah. (laughs) Noah was a righteous man. He was blameless among his generation. Noah continually walked with God. I want you to underline that. Noah continually walked with God. If you want to know the strength of Noah, this is it. Noah continually walked. Walked with God. In fact, repeat that after me. Noah continually walked with God. Say it. Amen. Say it again. Say it again. And if we want to see the same kind of faith that Noah had, then we will only see it if we too continually Walk with God. Anything other than continually walk with, continually walking with God, we will have a lesser result than what Noah had. Not even saying we won't have no result. We'll just have a lesser result. So, he was blameless among his generation, and he continually walked with God. Part of the reason he was blameless in his generation, I would dare say. If you're continually walking with God, you're probably not going to have time to get into trouble. Does that make sense? Yeah. Sure. Noah fathered three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was ruined before God, and the earth was filled with violence. (laughs) God saw the earth, and because and behold, it was ruined because all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. Then God said to Noah, The end of all flesh is coming before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. Behold, I am about to bring ruin upon them along with the land. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with compartments and smear pitch on it, both inside and out. Now this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. 450 feet. One and a half football fields. That's how long this thing was. It's bigger than this building. That's how big that arc was. It's breadth, how wide it is, 50 cubits. So 75 feet wide. This thing was big. Really big. And it's height 30 cubits. 45 feet high. It's huge. Massive. And Noah with his wife and their three sons and their wives were supposed to build this massive edifice out of this Special kind of wood, which is very hard, very resilient against letting water in, and when properly sealed, is watertight. There is no water that's going to come in. It's flexible, though. It could handle the bends and everything else that would happen in violent seas. But with something so big and so heavy, it also rode very heavy in the water so that it wasn't pitched about as a smaller vessel might be. But this took an immense amount of work in order to build it. (coughs) God continues, You shall make a roof for the ark and you shall finish it to within one cubit from the top. You shall put the door of the ark in its side. You shall make it with lower second and third stories. So you're gonna have plenty of room for all of the animals, Noah, that I'm going I'm about to tell you to bring in. You see, he hasn't told them about the animals yet, has he? Now I am about to bring the flood. Water upon the land, and Noah could be forgiven if he asked, Lord, what in the world is a flood? I don't even know what such a thing is. You see, God doesn't explain everything, He tells us the essentials of what we need, and then we have to ask ourselves the question do we obey? Or do we not? You shall put the door of the ark in its side. You shall make it with lower second and third stories. Now I am about to bring the flood. Water upon the land. To destroy all flesh. And which is the spirit of life from under the sky. Everything that is on the land will perish. <clears throat> but I will establish my covenant with you. So you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. So God made a covenant with Noah, and through Noah this covenant was to Noah's wife, to his sons, and to his sons' wives also. As I said earlier, God is looking for a people to call His own. Not merely an individual, but people to call His own. And He is forever on a quest to bring back relationship between Himself and fallen humanity. And He invites us to be part of that. Now let's think about Noah for a minute. He lives in this society that is Terribly violent. I'm sure every one of us who read the news anyways have been terribly riveted. Terribly riveted. By the slaughter of those innocents in northern Mexico. My goodness. How horrible. Mothers and their children such cruelty, such violence. This is what Noah was living in. He was living in violence like this times ten, times a hundred, times a thousand. And God gives him these very unusual instructions. Go and build this ark. Can you imagine the mockery he was held up to by those around him? This violent society that had long since left behind the knowledge of God. Can you imagine the threats that he received? I'm sure that he did receive threats. You're such an idiot, maybe we'll just rid the world of you. You don't believe that can't happen. Look at our politics today. How ugly they've become. (coughs) This is what Noah lived in. And this is what he faced. And yet God had given him a commandment and what was Noah's response to obey God and to do it. What did I say about him? He walked with God continually, right? And so he had the strength to obey and to to do that that God had called him to do. And because of Noah, because of the faith of his sons, the faith of Noah's wife, the faith of Noah's sons' wives, you and I are sitting here today Noah's faith bore eternal dividends for all of us who are sitting here. Without them, without the faith that they demonstrated, we may not be here. You see, this is the nature of faith. Faith does something even when our senses say, gee, I just can't see it. But I know the One who's the author of this idea. The author of this commandment. And I know He's faithful. And therefore I will do it. What my senses tell me really doesn't matter. It's what He's telling me. And based on what He's telling me, even though I don't understand, I will do it. That's what makes a hero of the faith. Noah is a worthy hero to have. Let's go on to Abram. Although it's interesting that in Hebrews 11, they give him the name that God gave him when God changed his name. From Abram to Abraham. Avraham, father of many nations. Genesis 12, 1-3 Then Adonai said to Avram, Get going out from your land and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. My heart's desire is to make you into a great nation. Promise number one. To bless you. Promise number two. Promise number three is to make your name great so that you may be a blessing. My desire is to bless those who bless you. But whoever curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now I want you to note that all the families of the earth being blessed through Abraham is the seventh of the promises, right? What's the first one? What's the first one? Come on, it's for the land, isn't it? I'm going to make a nation out of you. Without Abraham becoming a nation, that seventh blessing never happens. All of the families of the earth are not blessed without Abraham first becoming a nation. Why do you think Satan works so hard against the nation of Israel? It's very simple. He knows that apart from the nation of Israel, all the families of the earth are not blessed. He knew it then. He knows it now. And therefore, as you read your news, you will continue to see that pretty much the entire world will continue to work against the nation of Israel, even as Israel blesses the entire world. I don't want to make Israel sound like some kind of unique, perfect super people. They're not. They're people just like you and I. But God has called Israel to be a light to the nations. And apart from Israel, God's great blessings are not going to come to pass for the rest of the world. But what did he tell Abram first? He said, get going out from your land and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. He doesn't even tell him where he's going. Which is exactly what the writers of the Hebrews says. That he got up and he went not even knowing where he was going. But he knew that the one who had called him was faithful. And so he went, do you know that the One who has called you is faithful? Do you know that God is faithful? If you know that God is faithful, if you believe that God is faithful, it will change the entire way that you live your life. It will change what you think. It will change what you believe. It will change the way you react to people around you. It will change the way you read the world around you. It'll make you do things that to the world look like utter foolishness. What Noah did was utter foolishness to the world around him, but he did it. He did it because of faith. What Abraham did, leaving his family behind, his mother, his father. His father eventually came with him though. Isn't that amazing? They traveled together for a period of time. The old idol maker, Terah, traveled with the monotheist Avram, his son. Wow, this is good stuff. Are you a person who has influence in your family? Do you have the power of the Ruach in you? in order to influence your family so that over time they can actually begin to understand something deeper than they understood before. If you do, you'll be able to change the society around you. Abraham had authority even with his father. And so doing something that seemed very foolish to the society around him, he got out from his land, from his relative, from his father's house and began to go to a land that God would show him. Did Abraham ever possess this land? No, he didn't. He died without seeing it. He died in faith without seeing it. But because he had faith, because he sat out, because he began the journey, eventually you had the nation of Israel and you've had every one of those other promises at least in part come to pass. Including the last one. That Abraham would be a blessing to all of the families of the earth. But it all started because he was willing to listen to God And to walk as God told them to do. This is the making of a hero of the faith. Someone that is worthy of looking up to and emulating. What is faith once again? The substance of things hoped for. The evidence of realities not seen. Amazing. Amazing. What about Sarah, dear Sarah, Sarah the doubter? We talked about another doubter last week, didn't we? Doubting Thomas. Mm-hmm. What a what a misnomer! What a lie of the enemy! Do you realize that Scripture knows where it tells us that Sarah doubted God's word that she would have a child. Scripture nowhere tells us that she doubted that. It tells us what she did doubt. But it wasn't that. Sarah. (coughs) Sarah, who we read, by faith herself received ability to conceive when she was barren and past the age since she considered the one who had made the promise to be faithful. Now the writer of the Hebrews tells us she had faith. She believed. Now who you got to listen to? Some commentator who doesn't know what he's going to talk about? Or you got to listen to the Word of God? I think I'm going to listen to the Word of God who says that Sarah in her faith received the ability to conceive. So let's let's how about we go back and we actually take a look at what was said. Go back to Genesis 18, 9 through 15. Genesis 18, 9 through 15. Now, God and a couple of angels have come and visited Abraham. And God is about to negotiate with Abraham for what happens to Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the plain. Pretty amazing. What would you do if God came and visited you? What would I do? First of all, would I have the eyes to see that God is visiting me? That's the first question. The second question is, assuming I had the eyes to even see that God was visiting me, how would I handle that? And would I be someone of enough substance that God would feel like it would be worthwhile negotiating with me? Would God see in me a great enough concern for my fellow man, for the people around me? That He could see me as being someone that would be worthwhile to negotiate with when it came to what was going to happen with the people around me? How much do I love them? How much do I demonstrate that love? In what ways do I demonstrate that love? Am I consistent or is it just when the wind takes me? You see, Abraham was weighed in the balance. And he was found to have substance. And so Almighty God negotiated with Abraham. Well, anyway, Sarah was there also, and so when they had come, when they had been seated, when they were being refreshed, we then read from verse 9, Then they said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? There in the tent, he said. Then God said, I will most surely return to you in about a year's time. Surprisingly, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent which was behind him. Now, Avraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. <coughs> Sarah had stopped having the way of women. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I've grown decrepit, can I have desire? And my Lord, so old. Lord, we're a couple of prunes. Can I actually have desire at this point in my life? That's what she laughed at. Then Adonai said to Avraham, Why is it that Sarah laughed, saying, Can I really give birth when I am so old? Is anything too difficult for Adonai? At the appointed time, I will return to you in about a year. And Sarah will have a son. Sarah denied it, saying, I didn't laugh. Well, she did. She just didn't laugh about the one thing. But another, for she was afraid. But he said, no, for you did laugh. Sarah had faith to believe. Even against all the evidence that indeed God could make her capable of conceiving and bearing a child when she was past the age where women could conceive and have a child. Her period had ended. There were no more eggs being released from her ovaries to be fertilized. And yet, hope against hope, belief against belief, God, who is faithful, said that she would conceive. And she believed that she would. As did her husband, Avraham. Regardless of who they were and what age they were and what they looked at like by this time, they believed. And because they believed, the two of them together they came together. They conceived a child. And that child, Yitzchak, the child of laughter, the child of the promise, became the one who would carry on the promise that God had made to Abraham before. A promise that would culminate in all of the nations of the earth, all of the families of the earth being blessed. You see, if it hadn't been for the faith of Sarah, we wouldn't be blessed as we are today. Her faith was as much a part of what made it come to pass as the faith of Abraham. I want to finish with this story. I want to talk about The emissary of Yeshua, Yaakov, Um, in your English versions he'd be referred to as James. He's the brother of Yochanan of John. He and John were known as sons of thunder. Apparently James was the elder of the two because he's always listed first. In Acts eleven twenty-seven through 12, 1 and 2, we read this. Now, in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and predicted through the Ruach that there was going to be a great famine over all the world. Well, this famine took place during the reign of Claudius. So the disciples decided to send relief to those brothers and sisters living in Judea, each according to his ability. This they did, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Shaul. Now at that time, Herod the king seized some of Messiah's community to do them harm. He had Yaakov, John's brother, put to death With the sword. Let me tell you a little bit more about Yaakov. Three times we read about Yaakov, John, and Peter being invited by Yeshua to witness events that no one else saw. These three really were kind of his inner circle. We see them in the same room with Yeshua when the daughter of Yairus was raised from the dead in Mark five thirty-seven through forty-seven. We see the three of them at Yeshua's transfiguration in Matthew seventeen one through three, and we see them during the time of Yeshua's agony in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew twenty-six thirty-six through thirty-seven. He may have been a sleepyhead, but he was at least there with his Lord and Master. Now, he wasn't a perfect man, just like none of us is. In Luke nine fifty one through 54, we find out he desperately needed to grow in the grace of God at a certain point. Because when a certain Samaritan village did not automatically with open arms invite Yeshua in, he along with his brother Yohanan suggested, Lord, perhaps we should call down fire from heaven upon them. A suggestion that drew him a quick rebuke from the Lord. But let's talk about what happened with Yaakov. He had followed Yeshua faithfully through those years when He was walking with Him. And He very quickly became one of the leaders of the congregation after Yeshua was put to death. And He along with all the others realized that Yeshua had conquered death and had been raised from the dead. It became His proclamation. And because of His proclamation, He was arrested by Herod and put to death. Stabbed through. Well, let's see what's going to happen with this this one who proclaims that this man, Yeshua, rose from the dead and conquered death. We'll see if He can conquer death. Ram him through with the sword, and he dies. But he died because of his proclamation. It meant something to him. He understood what his proclamation was, and he was willing to make it for a reason. So I started out speaking about proclamation. And I want to end with this. The question of the fate of Yeshua's emissaries. um, Simon, would you please get the children? Are they here? Don't let them in yet. Simon, Simon, don't let them in yet. Don't let them in yet. I just wanted to make sure they were down here. Thank you. here's the heart of what I'm trying to get at with this series. Because I want us to see this. Because if we truly say we have faith in Yeshua, then it's going to show in what we think, what we say, what we do, how we react to life around us. The question of the fate of Yeshua's emissaries also gets to the heart of the reliability of the kerygma, of their proclamations of what had happened. Did the apostles, did the emissaries really believe that Yeshua appeared to them after His death, or did they fabricate the entire story? How reliable are the resurrection accounts. Well, I would dare say by the very fact that they were willing to die for their faith, that even facing death, their proclamation did not change. In fact, oftentimes it became even more bold. You see, Stephen, as he's getting ready to be murdered, he's telling the leaders of Israel the story of their people, his people. And the hardness of heart and the unbelief in the wilderness and the pains that the nation suffered because of that unbelief. Because of their unbelief, the leaders themselves. And he's making it very clear what this unbelief causes. It not only separates us from God, it not only separated them from God, it separated everyone who was part of that party from God, but it caused terrible judgments to be poured out upon the nation. Judgments that eventually completely destroyed one tribe, Simeon. Of the lack of faith. And yet, here we've got Stephen who, as he's making his argument, and it becomes apparent to him that they're going to kill me, anyways. And because he knew that the one who had called him was faithful, he didn't back away from the proclamation. He made it even clearer and more blunt and stronger. And indeed, they became so angry, so infuriated, they plugged up their ears, they ran towards Him. They began hurling stones until He died under this hail of stones. You see, the same thing happened with Jacob. He was the first of Yeshua's emissaries to be put to death for His faith, to be martyred. He was faithful to Yeshua. And yet He, even as Abraham, did not see the promise that was given, though He died in faith yet. We do what we do for God because we've been called, not because of what we see. We do it because we, we know of what will be through God, not what is now. And if we're like the heroes of the faith that are listed throughout Hebrews chapter 11 and the emissaries of Yeshua, then our faith is going to change us. It's going to shape us. It's going to make us different than the rest of the world around us. It doesn't mean we suddenly become perfect angelic beings who never do anything at all wrong, never get angry, never get cross with one another or anything like that. But there is something about the person who is truly walking with Yeshua that makes them different and it is noticeable. Let's walk together and let's become exactly who Yeshua has created us to be. That we can change our city. Remember, you are not to fear. You're to be bold. Because God knows exactly where He's put you. He knows what period of time He's put you. And He's put you here for just such a time as this. You're to be a hero of the faith also. Amen. Amen. Please bring the kids in.